over the course of human history. There's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Uh, we have so many ways now that we can present animal welfare issues to you here, courtesy of WABC. Red Apple Media, our parent company, John Margot Katsimatidis, Chad Lopez first. You have this show, 11 to 12, every Sunday night. You can get it in podcast form if you go to wabcradio.com in case you miss it. And you can hear all the previous episodes on radio. And now you get video, a half-hour video edition that's on YouTube. You just type it in, Red Apple Media, and you will now see episode number three. So there's episode one, two, and three with many more to come each and every Wednesday. Wow, this is becoming uh, a multiple way of getting information out about animal welfare issues, uh, Nancy. Yeah, no, it's just getting a, a lot of activity going on. So looking forward to, you know, the more content, the better, of course. Absolutely. First and foremost, uh, in the hours that I've been able to go back and forth to our lair in the Upper West Side, you have had constantly up on the big screen TV would look like a camera that is focused on a, a bald-headed eagle, the American symbol, Could, in a nest with lots of snow. You, It's amazing you actually hear the eagle from time to time. Could you explain what that is and how other people can join you in watching this beautiful creature? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, I, I like looking at um, different things online where, uh, you know, they're showcasing animals in their natural environment. So they have like a 24-hour webcams. So this is a, a webcam that uh, went up a few years ago. This is in uh, California. It's San Bernardino Valley. Um, and where you can find it is an organization. It's called Friends of Big Bear Valley. Like, if you type that in, you'll see, like, they have a link to uh, YouTube. So this is like a live feed of uh, Bald Eagle Nest. So, you know, I, I saw it um, a couple weeks ago. I thought, you know, it's very, like, tranquil. Like, you know, it's a, it's a great thing to be able to see it. But then, you know, so recently um, California had, like, the extreme weather going on. So where this is located, uh, you know, they had over four feet of snow, so I'm watching the the eagle nest, and uh, they're protecting like these two eggs that were hatched last month, and you know it's like there's so much snow that the uh, you know the eagle actually got snowed in in the overnight. You can see that on the camera. So the snow actually was on top of the female eagle who was on the eggs, keeping them warm. You couldn't see the eagle; she was under snow. Yeah, and you know, and and again, it was incredible because you know I'm I'm watching this thing. I'm like, wow, the the, the tree is 
swaying. Now, this uh, tree, because where the eagles nest, right, they, they try to go really high up uh, the vantage point because, you know, for security purposes, but they only have, it's like they have mates for life and they only have maybe two to three eggs per year. So it's a very big deal when they have the eggs. And this particular pair, in the past uh, few years, they've lost the majority of the eggs that have, uh, you know, hatched. So, you know, it's like everyone's now watching these, you know, these eggs and they're watching for them to hatch. And it's been such extreme weather. So, you know, I think with that in mind, it's like their whole goal is, and, and it's that they're trading off between the, you know, the mother and the father. So, when when she gets up, like she goes to get the food, and then he sits on the egg. So it's like it really is a team effort. So they're mates for life. Yes. The male and female eagle, very much like wolves, that are mates for life. Yeah, they're they're mates for life, and you know they live like you know twenty years or so outdoors. But you know, I mean, you know, with the exception of uh, you know one of them perishing, uh, you know, they pair up for life, and that's the pair. Now. For a while there in Central Park, the bird watchers, of which there are many, they wear those safari hats, they have those shorts on, the binoculars. They're always going, whoop-a-woo, whoop-a-woo, because there's so many birds that travel and use Central Park as a stopover before they continue south for the winter. But there was an actual, am I correct, a bald-headed eagle that they spotted? Well, no, no, so... um. Like yeah, so I spotted the uh, the eagle uh, a few weeks ago there, um, and you know after that the whereabouts I don't know where it went. Uh, you know I don't know if anyone uh, else uh, was able to really track it, but you know unfortunately like a week or two later there was an eagle out east that had been found. Um, you know that had perished because it had ingested poison. So. I'm not sure if that's, you know, the same eagle. Well, you did have a photograph of it. I marveled at the fact that, wow, eagle in Central Park. But ever since then, it's been all owl, 24-7-365, Flacco, who had escaped the Central Park Zoo. Somebody had cut uh, a hole in the web. Flacco left. The bird watchers feared that Flacco would not survive in the wilds. Flacco remains in the area and seems to be surviving quite well on his own. Am I correct? Yeah, so now Flacco's been free for over a week, um, meaning that, like, for over a week they've stopped their attempts to try and, like, rescue and bring the the owl back. And say, okay, well, the owl knows how to survive. It's clearly eating food. Um, you know, but the thing is, like, you know, this owl is such a celebrity. So there's groups of people who are constantly watching uh, the whereabouts, um, like where, where it's going, what's, what's happening with it. So, I mean, you can actually follow some of these, uh, you know, Twitter sites where you see massive groups of people, you know, because they get the same way that uh, bird watchers, um, you know, f- uh, flock to the park to, to see the birds. This is like a, an attraction. So you really know where this owl is. So at this point, the, you know, the, the zoo has said, oh, no, we – their actual statement is we're continuing to monitor the activities and they'll resume recovery if it sh- if uh, Flacco uh, shows any signs of difficulty. So in other words, if Flacco becomes vulnerable, they're going to go in and try to grab it back. <laughs> but right now, it's been successful at, at evading capture. And how does it survive? You know, they, they claim that, oh, it has to be hand-fed. It's been hand-fed ever since it was a little chick. 
Yeah, I mean, and again, so it's been in captivity for uh, the majority of its life, but it, it did uh, come to the zoo. It was under a year old, so it probably did have uh, some degree of experience directly hunting, um, you know, probably with a parent. So I don't think, you know, and plus I think there's an element of, of instinct. You know, that was the concern. Oh, we think that uh, Flacco is going to be at risk. Uh, he, you know, Flacco won't know how to find food. But, again, it's, you know, it's an apex predator. Uh, I don't think that you really would need to be concerned about that. I, I think it was just more, you know, they didn't want anything bad to happen to Flacco because there's so many eyes on Flacco right now. So, I think that's a concern. Well, it's it's uh, one answer to the growing rat and mice and rodent problem because there's been feeding on rats and mice late at night. The owl is not nocturnal. The rats and mice are nocturnal. And it's it's basically patrolling Central Park. Oh, yeah, and that's what they're seeing. They're seeing, um, you know, uh, Flacco actually go after the rats. So they know that that is actually what, um, you know, the owl's eating. No, it was interesting. This uh, past week, uh, Governor DeSantis traveled up to uh, Staten Island uh, at a pro-police rally. But we think of Florida, we think of alligators. And especially back in the 60s when I traveled down there to see my aunt and uncle and cousin, uh, Jimmy Scavone, Lucy Scavone, and Joey Scavone, uh, who lived in North Miami Beach and went to Hollandale to the track, and they enjoyed their retirement there. On the way back used to be uh, Old Dixie Highway, uh, Tobacco Road. They would sell little alligators in little boxes along the way, and they would uh, prick holes in it so the alligator could breathe. It was almost microscopic, just having been hatched. By the time you get it back to New York, you'd have to put it in the tub. It would grow, it would grow, and sometimes people would flush the alligators down the toilet or they release it in a nearby waterway. There were a lot of alligators in the 60s. Most of them perished. Some of them survived in the sewers. But just the, just the day before DeSantis spoke in Staten Island, Prospect Park park workers fished out a four-foot alligator in the Prospect Park Lake, and it turned out that they had to do an operation on the alligator. Why, Nancy? Yeah, so I, I think there needs to be some investigation done into this particular alligator because it's sounding very suspect to these details. So what's clear is that this alligator was found in the park. So this is uh, the 19th, uh, like Sunday morning. Um, you know, the, the park uh, crew, they they see the alligator. They're not even sure that it's alive. It's not moving. And, you know, they have the pictures of them uh, fishing the alligator out. It's like a long pole and, you know, grabbing it by the neck type of thing. And then they have the direct pictures there where it was put into, like, you know, like a big dog crate, something like that, like plastic. Now, uh, keep in mind, it was probably like single digits that morning. And, you know, this isn't uh, a creature that's used to being in cold water. So there was a concern, like, oh, maybe it's hypothermic. But right away it was stated that it went to animal care and control. But now then that story kind of got like some attention and people were interested. Oh, what happened to the alligator? And then after that, it became, you just saw a picture of a stopper in an alligator. Uh, they claim, oh, that's what's going on. Now it's supposedly in the Bronx Zoo. It's on a, a medical regimen. They're monitoring it. There haven't been any direct pictures of this alligator. Now, one thing I can tell you is, 
having brought, um, you know, as many cats as I've, I've had to the vet, the one thing they can see with an x-ray is something plastic. So um, I'm thinking it's a little suspect that I think something happened at Animal Care and Control and they're trying to cover it up. You know, a lot of people wonder, is this common? Uh, we haven't heard about many of these instances. Probably the most famous was Ming the Tiger, a 400-pound tiger who dominated the headlines in October of 2003. I remember I was talking about it on the radio all the time. A guy named Antoine Yates had him in his Harlem apartment, 400-pound tiger in the projects. But what people didn't realize is he also had a three-foot-long alligator in his bathtub. There are people who have alligators in their apartments and in their homes. Yeah, and, and I think when it was removed from the lake, it was viewed as probably, you know, oh, it's a pest. So, you know, like, I don't think there was any concern about, um, you know, taking care of it. I think it was just trying to get rid of it because it seemed like it was a scary thing. Like, the people at the park were scared of it. And then, you know, I mean, again, I don't think an alligator is, like, really an attractive type of animal to fundraise. But because it got so much attention, I think that's what it is, right? Because, you know, again, I, I think that's part of the problem. It's this would be something that it's just so unusual, it doesn't fall into any parameter. Like, what would you do when you see it? I think that's why they probably called animal care and control, because by default, there's really nowhere else to call. And then I think that's what happened. So they transported it there, and then they, you know, whatever they did after that. I mean, we still haven't seen a picture. We've just seen an x-ray, and I don't know if we can confirm that that's the same alligator. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. It is the Animal Welfare Hour featuring uh, Nancy, my wife, who is a great animal rescuer, very knowledgeable on a whole wide range of animal welfare issues. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Now I noticed that that same state we've been talking about with DeSantis, they have a bill in their state legislature that would ban allowing dogs to stick their heads out of a car window. Now, I'm saying to myself, that's almost a tradition in America. How many times have you been driving along, Nancy, in your life, and you stop and you look across at the other car or the other pickup truck or van, and there's a dog who's looking out the window? Yeah, so, yeah, definitely. I've, I've seen that a lot of times. Um, and I think, you know, the way that it's phrased, Right, it does sound like pretty overreaching, uh, but I, I think it's it's much more aimed at uh, people who have dogs that are uh, like loose in the truck beds of cars, things like that. You know, but when you look at the particulars, it's like, well, if if you have if you're the only one in the car, then you have to have the dog secured. So whether that be a harness, a seatbelt, um, a crate, you know, like, and then they, you know, they go into details of the sizing of it, you know, but uh, again, I think it's really aimed at uh, people who, you know, have been, uh, you know, riding with them in the backs of the cars that are open and it's being really unsafe for, for them to be there. But the weird thing that they did with this was, now again, I'm not sure if there's like this anticipation that everything is just going to roll through, but for some reason they put a multiplicity of issues in this one bill so that everything has to, you know, if it doesn't pass and everything fails, then there's a lot of, like, really good things in here. So, like, for instance, obviously you don't want people to uh, ride with the dogs in the back of the cars and, you know, they're not secure. Maybe they're going to fly out or they're a danger. But then it also, 
um, you know, says that you there's a penalty for dechloring cats, right? So it tries to address that issue, which is uh, something that is, you know, a priority. Now, you know, unfortunately, it goes after the individual owner as opposed to the veterinarian, so it doesn't really ban it across the board. Um, but then, so that's the second thing. And then a third thing it does, which is really weird, it, it tries to limit cosmetic testing, which I'm not sure how they possibly can try to get their foot into something like that, just given like interstate commerce and things of that nature. So they packed a lot into one animal bill, and hopefully everything just passes across the board. Um, and maybe some of the, you know, the bigger issues, like the dechloring of the cats or keep them out of the truck beds, like, you know, some of the more important things, uh, you know, get prioritized. This is incredible, though. You, We think of Florida, we think of it as a very... Um I would say libertarian state. They they don't like restrictions. But uh, to have a bill that would ban allowing dogs to stick their heads out of the car window is incredible to me because that's sort of like one of those states, live free or die, you know, where, hey, almost anything goes. Guns, lots of guns, right? <laughs> lots of freedom. People on motorcycles, no helmets, no, no helmets. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and again, my guess would be that should it pass, you're, you're not going to have uh, law enforcement uh, pulling someone over because the dog's in the back seat with its head out, but you might have them pull over, uh, like, the pickup truck, that has, like, two dogs sliding around as the person's going 60 around the corner. Like, I think that's what it's trying to set up, like, the the pretext to stop that individual. Now, Saturday morning, I was at the Colonnade Diner in Staten Island on Highland Boulevard. It was, like, 9 o'clock in the morning. I had just finished doing overnights here the other side of midnight from 12 midnight to 6. And a woman came up to me. She listens to the show. She's a, a cat uh, a lover. But she wanted more information. She said, what was your wife talking about last Sunday? The declawing is no good for cats. And I'm obviously I'm not as knowledgeable as you are. But if you could take advantage of the 50,000 powerful watts of sound, there are a lot of listeners out there who are, I would say, torn by this issue. They They feel the cats are doing damage in the home, that they live side by side with the cats, and they don't know how to remedy that issue, you know, with their claws. Yeah, so uh, so again, right, uh, the behavior issue, you know, recognizing that, you know, it's not like a bad behavior. Oh, I'm trying to to do something and act out. It's that it's uh, filling a need that a cat has, which is like the combination of, you know, stretching. When you think about, you know, how their body stretches when they're, uh, you know, scratching their claws against something. But also it uh, makes it where the, the claws themselves aren't so sharp, right? So they spend a lot of time cleaning themselves. So they can't be uh, at risk of, you know, injuring themselves as well. And then plus, uh, you know, so again, they can do it naturally. Now, if you don't have those things set up for them, you know, by default, they'll find something that, uh, will allow them to accomplish that same end, which is where you have that, uh, you know, behavior coming in. Oh, I'm, they're scratching at something. Well, that's because you didn't do something correctly. So, again, um, I think the, the the bad thing was that it wasn't viewed as a as a, a harmful thing to cats. Previously, it was thought, oh, you're just – it's almost like trimming the nails. But what they've come to find out, it's like if you look at the equivalent of a person – it's like you're going down to, like, the knuckles. Like, that's how extreme it is. So the 
the after effects of these surgeries is that the cat then winds up developing a lot of issues because of the incredible pain that they have in their claws because you basically, you know, it's like they've taken uh, parts of their, all of their fingers off. So it hurts for them to walk. So it becomes a difficult thing and painful to walk. And then they'll develop like issues uh, by virtue of that. You know, they're not walking correctly, right? Different types of arthritis type thing. It'll be painful for them to even use things like litter boxes because now they're feeling it because now they're nervous. So again, then they'll develop worse behaviors. They'll go outside the litter box because it's too painful to go in it. And then you'll think, oh, they're even worse than before. So, you know, you have to put all that stuff together to realize, oh, it's usually something you can fix without something like surgery. Well, that uh, woman who made that request for that information was Regina. I told her to be listening tonight. Uh, she was uh, there at the Colonnade Diner with her uh, husband in Staten Island. I hope uh, that was a much better answer than I gave her. I mean, I gave her a little smidgen. You gave her uh, the whole nine yards. But extraordinarily uh, important uh, for those who have cats that live with them. And now to a huge issue in California, which has been so anti-police. They're anti-police dogs. Apparently, there's a California bill which would ban police dogs from making arrests and doing crowd control. Yeah, so uh, there's, um, you know, two uh, particular politicians who are uh, introducing this bill. And, you know, they're trying to tie in the fact that uh, police dogs have been historically used in society, um, you know, against black and brown people. Therefore, uh, maintaining them within the department is like, you know, keeping that sort of uh, mentality. So that's where what, what they're saying. Now, they're not really uh, providing, you know, specific facts. I think it's, you know, it's just more of a, uh, a thing to sort of get their, their name out there a little bit. But, you know, so they're – but, again, that's that's the way this is coming from. So they basically want to retire um, the uh, canine department, you know, that's been trained to do certain things and restrict them. So, in a sense, the reason why they're uh, afforded that they – you know, that they are, like, a part of the police force is that they do um, actions that police officers would do to a certain extent – you know, so again, to say that, well, they're symbolic, but, you know, they're not going to do anything more than a police officer would do. So if you trust what police officers are doing, you know, again, I'm not really sure what the rationale is here that they're getting at. Um, but, I mean, this is the proposal. They're trying to push it through. Um, it doesn't seem to have a lot of steam at this point. Yeah, but I know California and the legislatures who uh, assemble there in Sacramento, eh, They've neutered the police department, the men and women of the police department. They'll neuter the police dogs. And on that note, a police dog was killed during a detainment of a burglary suspect. Where did that happen and what were the circumstances? Yeah, so, um, yeah, so this, again, so this was in uh, California as well. And so it's a burglary uh, suspect. Um, it, you know, instead of the officer, um, uh, you know, running after the person, the canine did, but uh, he had the suspect had a knife and wound up stabbing, and then the the canine died. So, you know, obviously this was being used as an example of, you know, how, you know, uh, they work in conjunction, right? So, unfortunately, it was 
a dog that perished here, but, you know, if it were not, then it would have been an officer. So, you know, th- th- this is kind of the rationale. This is why they're utilized in uh, the police force in the first place. Would you follow up on that case and see what, if any, charges were filed against uh, this dog killer? Oh, absolutely. Yep. And then, while all that's going on in California, where they're saying, we don't need no freaking police dogs, here in New York City, Right there on 8th Avenue and 34th Street, a block away from uh, Herald Square and Macy's, they have police dogs that are out. Private security has been hired by the uh, BID, Business Improvement District, and they're positioned in the CVS and outside the CVS because of all the shoplifting and boosting. And it's incredible. They have like a harness on it that says, don't pet the dog. These are Belgian shepherds and German shepherds. Tell us a little bit more about the utilization of uh, man's best friend this way. Yeah, so uh, this is an example of, uh, you know, an attempt to uh, provide some element of security, right? So in the area that you're talking about, the Midtown uh, Bid District, which is where Macy's, Herald Square, Penn Station, um, they, they've had, since last year, a uh, 60% increase in shoplifting, and majority has increased in violence. So there's a, you know, a real need for this type of stuff, but a lot of these businesses, they're, you know, they're basically tied in what they can do because even if they do have the person, you know, the person will just be released. So you know, I, I think there's like a lot of desperation in trying to you know, prevent this theft because, you know, it's, it's just out of control. So they're utilizing um, security services that have canines and they're more or less a visible deterrent because they're not going to be, you know, releasing the dog onto a person who shoplifts. But, you know, they, they've been monitoring um, their actual progress since they've started and surprisingly, they're way more detailed than you would possibly get from, like, the NYPD. You actually see stats, like, okay, what has changed? What have they done? What have they accomplished? And they're doing enough where, you know, the businesses feel, um, you know, content paying. It says, like, five figures a month for this type of security. So, well, I got to yeah. tell you, just uh, observing all the mutts and skells out there going in and out of these stores and shoplift and cause all kinds of problems, the moment they see a dog, a Belgian or a German Shepherd, they ain't going in that store. They just are not going to test test their feet with those German and Belgian sh- Shepherds. That, that's a, a, a damn good idea. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. And then we saw the story in which there are people in England that are claiming that they were saved from being flooded out by beavers. How did that happen? Yeah, <laughs> yeah so uh, there's like a, a, a town in North Yorkshire. So apparently they uh, introduced beavers there a few years back, uh, specifically because of flooding issues that they have in the area. And um, in the past couple weeks, this uh, incredibly huge dam that was built, I think it's like the largest one that they've ever recorded, was able to save this town from being flooded. So this is like this great example of, you know, everything working as it should, you know, every living creature doing what it should be doing.
Mm, absolutely. The beavers, oftentimes, remember, uh, people perceive of, uh, beavers as being a menace because they'll divert rivers, tributaries, and such. But in this case, basically say the town didn't get flooded out because of the beavers working 24-7-365 to put up that dam. But then the flip side of that is... You know how we have all the illegal aliens just bum-rushing across the Mexican border into the United States. And now I was the first to report right here on WABC back on February 1st that the city was then rerouting some of the illegals that were housing in hotels up to Quebec, uh, sending them to Plattsburgh on the Greyhound and then encouraging them to go into Canada where they have even more benefits uh, with their asylum now I see that all of a sudden there are complaints that hybrid super pigs, Hazari, are invading the United States after running wild in Canada. These illegal alien pigs are invading America? Yeah, you, you know they're in trouble when they identify them as super pigs. So, yeah, already they got to be on the lookout. Um, now, these are some sort of a mixture of uh, wild boars. Now, long story short, it's uh, human uh, fault, right? So in the 2000s, when there was a market for selling uh, uh, wild boars and wild boar meat, but then the market went down. So what these people did was just release them into the wild. So this population has been growing out of control, and it's gone from – uh, you know, certain areas of Canada where it's, like, invasive to uh, coming across to America. And, you know, again, it, it's all these it, – it's this idea of how they're going to address it. As usual, there's very little logic in the ways that they're talking about. But the most troublesome thing is the idea that um, – talking about trying to genetically modify them the same way they did with mosquitoes – that scares the heck out of me to hear them even re- <laughs> referencing that. Well, you know, it's incredible because uh, these uh, these uh, hybrid, as you call them, super pigs are coming down out of Canada, just right across the border, and tearing up a lot of the turf. So naturally, uh, the Americans closest to the border are upset. But, you know, maybe we can negotiate a trade. There's the North American Free Trade Association that was established by Bill Clinton and Al Gore years ago. Uh, you take our illegal aliens that are flooding into our country, and we'll take, in return, your super wild boar pigs. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a possibility, but... I mean, a swap. Why not a swap, right? Well, but, but again, but look how, how if, um, you know, these different organizations and, and countries came together, there's animals that are being slaughtered, being raised for meat, you know, just to be killed. When it's like you're planning on killing these animals, like, well, how come people just don't get together? Why are you creating new ones to kill them when these ones here you plan on killing and doing nothing? Like, it, there's just no logic. Like, it, it's the lack of value in these animals' lives whatsoever that's really disheartening. Well, before we go to the phones, one final story coming out of St. Louis <laughs> rivals what the movie is. There's a new movie out called Cocaine Bear. Uh, the significance, uh, other than the, the bear using cocaine that had been dropped from high in the sky in the forest, 
uh, is it's the last picture that Ray Liotta did, the great actor, before he died uh, while asleep uh, doing another film uh, in the Dominican Republic. Uh, apparently a, what can we call, almost like a Man of Steel-style bear broke through the bars in the steel and escaped? Yeah, so uh, un- so it, this has been the bear. So unlike Flacco, who was granted, uh, you know, freedom ultimately, this is the second time this bear has escaped, and they tranquilized him and took him back. So this bear is – they can't figure out how this bear is getting out of this enclosure because, you know, supposedly it's, you know, it's like metal, uh, steel. It's just not possible. So they're saying, well, this he always oh, incredibly strong and adventurous. Those sound like you know, like the traits that should give this bear some freedom. But now apparently he's being kept behind the scenes, temperature controlled and not open to the public. So Ben the bear is learning the lesson to not try and escape again. Is what I'm thinking. I got to tell you, looking at the trailer for Cocaine Bear, the movie that's hit all the theaters, the coke has made that bear so strong. How do you know Ben's not been doing cocaine? You know how much cocaine is in St. Louis? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, though, we'll take your phone calls. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Get a pad and a pen. I'm going to give you information how you can now be watching on a regular basis the uh, video that Nancy and I create for Animal Welfare, half-hour video. It's up on YouTube. You just type in Red Apple Media. You see episode one, two, and three. WABC. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. To the phones we go, Nancy. To Michael in Brooklyn, your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour of WABC, Mike. Hey, uh, Nancy and Curtis, pleasure as usual. You guys are the best. Um, I have a question for Nancy about. Um, I have a cat that has, like, asthma. He's coughing all the time. I don't know if you've uh, ever experienced that. Could Do you have any solutions to this besides, like, I've? he doesn't want to get into the cage to go to the vet and, um, you know, asthma, basically? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've never had a cat um, that had asthma. Um you see, yeah, so I I wouldn't really be able to advise on that. Um, I mean, I, my my guess would be though. I mean, or, or I would just a, a general suggestion, maybe anything like air air purifiers, like because if it's something with their breathing, anything that can maybe purify the air could be helpful. But that's just you know um, you know probably just general for every cat. I, I don't re- I've never had direct experience with a cat with asthma. Now, which part of Brooklyn do you live in, Michael? Uh, well, I'm in, uh, I, I work in, uh, Brooklyn, but I live in Long Island. So, um, you know. Yeah, well, I, I, I would suggest you really got to get that cat to a vet. Uh, Nancy, I would think, uh, a vet would probably have more access to, uh, resolving that problem or at least, uh, determining if in fact that was an asthma problem as opposed to uh, another issue affecting the cat's breathing. Let's go to Anthony calling all the way from Boston. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Anthony. Curtis, always broadcasting, Curtis. Nancy, 
Listen, just giving you a checkup on one of your grand cat babies there. So we love our cat. She's really nice. And we want oh, yeah. to hey. tell you with every <laughs> Listen, no. Listen, you have no idea how much of love she gave us. So if anyone's listening, was it Curtis and Nancy? They're really, really dedicated to the lives of all God's creatures and everything like that. So, uh, you know, if you need a cat, they can find one. They'll find one for you. And I'm just giving you my uh, my kudos to both of you because we're very happy. We got it right before COVID. Yes. She's a queen in the house. Yes, and you picked her <laughs> out. I still got the picture. So I just want to say thank you. And we never changed her name. Her still name is Brooklyn. Awesome. But she's like a peppermint. She's a peppermint patty cat. She's like in trouble, but she, you found her in the in the park or something. So I just want to say thank you to both of you. That's all, Chris. I listen to you every day. All right, buddy. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you. Drove all the way down from Boston because Nancy, what Nancy does, and so many others who listen to us who are part of rescue groups, they see there's a kill list at the animal control, the center where they have shelters, whether it's in New York City or in the outlying areas. And they, they tell you they're going to kill them. They're going to destroy them because they can't adopt them out or force them out. And uh, Nancy and others will go down and rescue them, and then they'll take care of their medical needs and socialize them and then put them up for adoption. And Nancy, as Anthony said, right before the lockdown and pandemic of March of 2020, he came down. And, uh, boy, that was, a, that, was, that was a cat we didn't necessarily want to let go, right? Yeah, you know, and, and I remember because um, I think it's like a, a, an owner uh, had just dumped the cat outside in like a feral colony, and it, you know, so it had no ability to take care of itself. And you know, again, they have no idea the temperament, but yeah, this this cat was so beautiful. Like you know, it was almost like a little munchkin cat, like little tiny legs and like long fur, but a really really sweet disposition, and you know, wound up being. Um, you know, very sociable with the other cats. So, you know, obviously that's the whole goal. Like, you want to find good homes. But, yeah, that that one was just a cutie. Yeah, it would never have survived outdoors uh, in a feral cat colony. Uh, good save, Nancy. And as you can see, how many years later, that cat loving her life with Anthony, his wife, his family. Anyway, let's go to Bob. Uh, welcome to the Animal Welfare Hour here in Long Beach. Excuse me, in, uh, in uh, WABC, Bob. Sure, Curtis. Uh, Nancy, let me tell you something. Here's what happened with the pig bomb. It's, it, the Canadian wild boar and the American wild boar are pretty docile unless you corner them. What happened was, like you said, some imbecile released Russian wild boars into the Georgia woods. It created what Discovery Channel called a pig bomb. Now, when they merged with the American wild boar and the Canadian wild boar, it became very aggressive because the uh, Russian wild boar is twice the size of all wild boars, and they're mean, they're aggressive. So that's what happened there. And if you look at the map, they're tearing up everything, farmlands, everything, because they're proliferating. And there was a, a one that was caught, I forget what state it was in, it was called Hogzilla. It merged with a Russian boar, 750 pounds. Oh, God. <laughs> National Geographic said you're full of it. He said, yeah, come down and dig it up, and you'll see. They dug it up. It was 750 pounds. Well, I will tell you, I will tell you, Bob, there's a place where all those pigs, those Hazari can go, whether they're Russian, American, Canadian. It's to the land of Soe, 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 Arkansas, Razorback country. Let them all go down to Arkansas. 
Anyway, let's go to Mike in Queens. Welcome to the Welfare Animal Edition of WABC, Mike. Yes. Uh, I don't know if you know uh, Robin from the Batman TV series has his own animal con- company. He sells dog food and cat food. And he says if you ha- if the animal has his food, you live a lot longer, the animal. Do you know about that? Oh, no. So, Robin, okay. and I always ask that question, Mike. Whatever happened to Robin, right? In every Batman movie now, you don't see Robin. Robin, they never give yeah. you an answer. Well, what the hell ever became a Robin? So, Robin from the TV series, kapow, bang, zoom, is now in the business of selling dog food and cat food? Yes, and he claims that your cat or dog will live a lot longer because his food is very good. Well, of course. What do you think he's going to say? Your dog will not live as long, or your cat? He, he's promoting his dog food and cat food. Nancy, uh, for next week, could you do a study on that and see how his uh, dog and cat food rates out compared to other brands? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. If he has a cat food, I'll I'll get it and and see what the cats think of it. Good, good. Uh, but you know, I I have a feeling some of the cats will push the can towards me first. Say, you try it. And if nothing happens to you in a half hour, then we'll eat it. I mean, by default, if we need an answer, you'll be our go-to. Damn right. Look, I've had cat food with the Ritz crackers. I'm not, I'll am not. i tell you, and dog food with Ritz crackers. If you didn't know sometimes it was cat food or dog food, it's like that scene, remember, in The Honeymooners where uh, Ed Norton <laughs> comes up. There's a yeah. bowl of dog food, yeah. and he thinks it's an hors d'oeuvre, and he has the crackers, and he eats it. Yeah. You would not know it's dog food or cat food. Yeah, hopefully you haven't had that on the way home any time. No, no, no. no. I, you know, if it was Dash dog food, what I used to put up on the uh, shelves at the old AMP that I was the key man overnight packing out at Foster Avenue and Rockaway Parkway across from the 69th Precinct, I would know that's dog food. You open that can, and oh my God, you need a you need a hazmat suit and a respirator. Anyway, let's go to Tony in Florida. Welcome to the Animal Welfare Hour here, exclusive to WABC. Tone. Yeah, this is my favorite time of the week when you two are on together. Thank you. Um, you're welcome. I had a cat that had uh, asthma, but. We had to take them to two doctors, and they both did test after test, medicine after medicine, before they finally came to the conclusion that he had asthma because they said cats don't get asthma. And it's the first case they'd ever seen. So the guy who's got a cat that's sick, more than likely he's got an upper respiratory problem, and he needs to see a vet. Now, Tony, your cat that was uh, designated to have uh uh, asthma, they didn't give the cat an inhaler, did they? No. No. Every now and then, when it got really, really bad, he would go in for a steroid shot. But other than that, there wasn't anything we could do. Yeah, maybe that's one of the reasons that Sid Rosenberg does not have asthma. I mean, that guy's all roided up. God, that guy's roided up. They use roids for so many things now, asthma, uh, intestinal issues. I mean, it's no longer used for what it was primarily used. And I have heard a number of animals, all different kinds of animals, that because of the problem they're diagnosed uh, to have with a vet, they'll they'll end up giving them a steroid shot. 
I mean, that's that's like a common. It seems like a common answer for a lot of things for animals with ailments. So, I know, but there's this this conception. Oh, if you roid it up, you are going to have you know rage issues. You know, you're going to not be able to control your your roid rage and. I don't think people realize that steroids, other than used by muscle heads like our own Ken here, uh, who uh, definitely has a muscle between both ears, really they are used for so many things that help not only animals but humans too. So don't be afraid of it. I know a lot of people, it's the same thing. You know, I don't want to take a painkiller. I don't want to take aspirin because I don't want to become addicted. You know, that's ridiculous. You're not going to become addicted uh, unless you, you don't exhibit any self-control. And it's the same way if they're prescribing steroids for yourself or your animal because of a medical issue, please just follow through. It will help you. I've had them for myself, and I've heard of many animals that have had the shots that have helped them with some internal issues. Anyway, uh, Nancy, if people want to continue the conversation with you, how can they get in touch with you on animal welfare issues? Okay, so guardianangels.org, uh, animal protection uh, tab. Uh, email me at nancy at guardianangels.org. And obviously there's all these great ways now that we're doing the, the videos, and you can find us on social media all over. Yeah, in fact, you go to uh, uh, you go to YouTube, you type in Red Apple Media, and you will see now three episodes, half-hour episodes with Nancy and myself, uh, filmed animal welfare issues, some of them with live animals, and we'll continue doing that each and every week. One last thing before you go, tomorrow is National Polar Bear Day, right, or International that Polar Bear true. Day? That is true. Well, you know, Dominic Carter will be coming in. He's always telling us he's out in Pomona, you know, where uh, it's so white that even the lawn jockeys are white in uh, Rockland County. And he talks about his biggest fear is when he sees a black bear coming in on his property. You imagine if they saw polar bears out there? Polar bears have white fur and black skin. What? Yes, they do. W- wait, say that again? They have the white fur, but they have black skin. I got to let Dominic know that. <laughs> I th- always thought... That not only did the polar bear have white fur, but it had white skin too. Nope. Wow. We just learned something here. There you go. Happy polar bear day. Exactly. I'll relate that to Dominic Carter up next.